0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. What do you know about the book of Leviticus? Here's what I know. I know that it's the reason that you struggle with your yearly Bible reading plan. You know, right around February, you get to Leviticus, and then you put it down, right? You give up. I know That it's the last book in the Bible that you would consider for your evening devotional time tonight. I know that if today I announced a sermon series walking through the entire book of Leviticus, that all of about four of you would show up next week. One would be my wife and two would be staff because they're all required to be here. I'm only half kidding, of course, but there's a kernel of truth there. Leviticus is a closed book to many of us because we're not sure what to do with it. It's, it's bloody, it's repetitive, tedious, and it doesn't seem like it has practical implications for our lives in the world today. We're not sure how it fits. Why so many laws? Why so much repetition? Well, the key to understanding all of this is remembering that Israel had spent 430 years in Egyptian bondage. Think about what it means to be an American. Our national identity, our culture, our values, most of which are going out the window these days, but that's another sermon. But there does still exist this very real American spirit, a uniquely American way of doing things. A way of talking and acting a, a way of thinking and doing it's it's distinct from the rest of the world and if you don't believe me just go visit a foreign country and and the locals there they will know that you're American right away it doesn't matter the color of your skin doesn't matter which part of the country you come from, they'll just know that you're American. Because we have this shared national identity. We have this common history and we have this heritage. And guess what? We haven't even been a country for 250 years yet. I'm going based on the Declaration of Independence. Now, we go back a little bit ways before that, but you get my meaning. That's it. In terms of the history of the world, we're a pretty young nation. And we already have this established culture and this identity. 430 years in slavery. That gave Israel a certain identity, a culture, and a heritage. They had become used to living under Pharaoh and his tyranny. They had become used to to the pantheon of Egyptian gods that the Egyptians worshipped. They were set under taskmasters who meticulously ordered every step of their lives. They were taught for centuries, not to fear and love their God, but to fear and love Pharaoh's imposter pantheon. These people desperately needed reprogramming. That's Leviticus. It's God's way of reprogramming his people. Word by painstaking word he was instructing them in a new national identity. What it meant to live under a people who were under new management. They had a new king. So this is how they were going to order their lives in that kingdom. There's this constant refrain if you go and look at Leviticus 16 and onward, there's this constant refrain that you'll hear uh, in the middle to, to, to conclude each section of laws. And here's the refrain I am the Lord. I am the Lord. Okay? Do XYZ, XYZ, XYZ. I am the Lord. Do XYZ, XYZ. I am the Lord. Was this God being petty? No. This is God saying, I am the God who has redeemed you. I am the Lord, Yahweh. Remember that and order your life accordingly. See, this is why God went through the trouble in the first place of bringing those plagues upon Egypt and Pharaoh's house so that the people of Yahweh would be set free to worship and serve him. This is why he sent the destroyer upon Egypt, but provided the Passover lamb for his people. This is why he led them through the Red Sea onto dry ground. This is why he brought them to Sinai. It's one of the first things that God said to Moses whenever he went up the mountain. Because of everything that I've done for you and your people, it says this, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant... You shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. And you shall be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. See, there on Sinai, God was establishing his covenant with his people. He was laying out the terms by which they were going to live. And these terms by which they would live as a free people. It was initially codified in the Ten Commandments. Super simple. This is what it means to be my people. But then what happened? Moses came down the mountain and what did he find? The worship service from hell. Why? Because old habits die hard. They were still under the delusion that they were in Egypt, even though they had seen God's power and they had received his salvation. They were supposed to be holy, but it took all of two seconds for them to show that they were anything but. So, Moses went back up the mountain. He, he interceded for them. Please, God, don't kill them. And God reestablished this covenant. This is when he gives them Leviticus. So, if you think that Leviticus is tedious and repetitive, consider that His people just worshiped a golden calf. They needed reprogramming. And what was going to be at the heart of this reprogramming? Well, there was going to be blood at the heart of this covenant. Right smack dab in the middle of Leviticus, chapter 16, you have the day of atonement. Their sins were going to need to be atoned for if God was going to continue to dwell among them. They were going to need to be made clean, pure, holy, and that would take a lot of blood. And so in our Old Testament reading today, Leviticus chapter 19, we hear about the implications, the implications of living from that holiness. Living from that holiness, not a holiness that these people possessed in themselves. They had already removed all doubt about that but the holiness that they received by virtue of God's presence in their midst. God told Moses in verses one to two of our reading today, speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy for the Lord, for I, the Lord, your God am holy. You shall be holy for I, the Lord, your God am holy. And then what follows, the verses after that, that, this is what it looks like in the life of the people. And what does it look like? Well, the verses that follow, if you go look at them later, you'll find that they are simply expansions on the Ten Commandments, loving the Lord their God and loving their neighbors. Now, in verses 15 through 18, we hear about how this holiness carries over into our relationships, how we are to treat others fairly, how we are to guard the reputation of our neighbors by refraining from slander and gossip, how we are to deal with the sins of our neighbors with loving confrontation, how we are called not to harbor bitterness, resentment, or hatred in our heart towards our neighbor. All of it summed up in verse 18. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. There's that refrain again. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. In other words, you're going to be my holy people. Set apart, special, distinct, consecrated, whatever word you want to use. Holy. You're going to have this special relationship with me that will be mediated by blood atonement and the forgiveness of your sins. You will worship and honor me as your God, and you will be holy because of my holiness. And what flows from that is love of your neighbor. But after God issued that command. To Israel, you shall be holy. We have hundreds and hundreds of years of history throughout the scriptures that testify they were anything but. The consistent story with Israel was not only their rampant idolatry and their false worship and their breaking of that first table of the law to love their Lord their God, but it was always coupled with rampant immorality and gross violations of the second table. Love your neighbor. Just read the prophets to get a sense for how bad things got. The people became murderous. They were participating in human sacrifices, sometimes of their own children, to worship the gods of the nations. They were permissive with these murderous acts. They, they didn't call out their neighbors on these horrific deeds, but they allowed them, they permitted them, they oppressed their neighbors by taking advantage of the poor. This is a constant theme throughout the book of Amos. And rather than lovingly confronting their neighbors in their sins, they just looked the other way. And they even abused the prophets who had the spine to call them out on this stuff. Killed some of them. A murderous people. In short, they failed to be holy, holy. As God's command intended for them. Did you know that God commands the same thing of us? This isn't an Old Testament versus a New Testament thing. You know, sometimes we think that Jesus came to make God's word just a little bit easier to digest, just a little bit easier to accomplish. But Jesus picks up on this same language in the Sermon on the Mount. And he says it a little bit differently. Here's what he says. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And do you know what he's talking about in that section? go read it later. Matthew chapter 5, verses 42 through 48, somewhere in there. You know what he's talking about? He's not talking about looking perfect. He's not talking about uh, uh, looking perfect in the eyes of the world. He's actually talking about loving your enemies. Not just your neighbor, your enemies. That's what he says it means to fulfill the law. That's what he says it means to keep the second table. Not that you will just do good to your buddies, but to those who hate you. Love your enemies. Next words, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. To even love that person as you love yourself. There's this trend in our culture that needs to die. It might be on its way out, but I don't know. You can never be sure with these things. There's this thing called self-love. You ever heard of this? Self-love. The idea is that we need to learn to love ourselves before we can love anybody else. Nonsense. I had some stronger words right there originally uh, in the the sermon, but my supervisor told me to take them out. We are already masters at loving ourselves. (laughs) Did you know that? It's, It's actually the thing that you are best at. It's the thing that I'm best at. Nobody needs to teach us this. We are masters at it. We're born into this world masters at loving ourselves. It's the other part. It's the loving our neighbor that we fail at so miserably. And yet our Lord commands us to be perfect, holy, even as our heavenly Father is perfect and holy. Can I make you a safe bet? It'll take all of two seconds for us to pull out of the parking lot today to to, to be reminded that we are anything but anything but holy. Even though we've just left church, even though we've just left Mount Sinai, as it were, where God speaks to us, just like it took Israel all of two seconds after passing through the Red Sea to break the covenant. So if this command to be holy is simply that, if it's a command, then we, brothers and sisters, are done for. We are done for. Do you think that God didn't know the future for his people Israel? Do you think that he didn't know about their future failures? Do you think that God doesn't know about your future failures? Or the sins that you would commit against him and your neighbors well before you were even born? Do you think that he didn't know about those? You need something that's going to cover you here and now. You need something that's going to last into the future. Something that will make you truly and wholly holy. What if I told you that God's words, you shall be holy, is not only a command, but it's a promise. God knew that they needed something better than the Red Sea miracle to make them truly holy. They needed something better than a Passover meal. They needed something more enduring than the day of atonement itself and the continual blood sacrifices. Those weren't going to cut the mustard. Those would not make them holy, holy. Therefore, the Christ would come. The Messiah, who is the holiness of Yahweh incarnate. The Jesus, who is the true Israel, who would come not only to fulfill the law in all of its facets, including perfect love for neighbor, but would also offer himself as the final blood sacrifice. The blood atonement that takes away the sins of the world, including yours and mine. In holy baptism, he would give the washing of regeneration and new birth by the Holy Spirit, by which he has given us his perfection, his holiness, his righteousness. In holy communion, he would give us a greater Passover through his body and blood, wherein he makes us one with himself and with his holy church, and we have the forgiveness of sins, life. salvation through his word and his sacraments through the means of grace the God who demands holiness of us dwells among us and supplies it to us you shall be holy for I the Lord your God am holy it's his promise It was a promise to his people then. It's a promise to you today. Jesus' words, you must therefore be perfect. You know what they point towards? Not only your human sinfulness, but ultimately his finished work for you on the cross and in his resurrection. They anticipate the gifts of his righteousness, life, and salvation that he has bestowed upon you through the means of grace. And when you fail miserably to live from that holiness that he has provided, you have the comfort of knowing that your sins and your imperfections are not held against you, nor do you need to make atonement for them. It's already been done. The Levitical system is out the window as far as you're concerned. The Levitical holiness has been provided to you through Christ, your perfect holiness. Here and now, you are counted holy in God's sight because holiness has been provided to you through Christ. You are counted Holy in God's sight because of the work of your Savior, who not only grants you to live in and from His holiness, but will bring you to full completion and perfection on the last day when He gathers you to Himself. So, since we are free from the demands for holiness that the law makes, and since our holiness is provided in Christ, we are free free. Just as God's old covenant people were free from Egyptian bondage and Egyptian slavery, we are free for what? To love and serve our neighbors, even our enemies. And in so doing, we fulfill that vocation, that unique calling that God has given to us as his treasured possession, a royal priesthood in a holy nation. God has made it so. He says to you today, you shall be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Believe it because it's his promise to you. In the name of the Father and the Holy, and the Son and the Holy Spirit, let's stand to our feet and confess our common faith using the words of the Nicene Creed.